I'm beginning a brand new teaching today, teaching on the subject of financial stewardship. And I know that this isn't most people's favorite topic, and there's a lot of prejudice and a lot of criticism against this. But, you know, I really feel like the Lord impressed on me to share this. There is a lot of hype and a lot of um, over-the-top teaching on the subject of finances, but the Scripture has a lot to say on it. As a matter of fact, Jesus taught more on the subject of finances than He taught on any other subject. You know, I don't, I've never personally researched this, but I just recently heard a preacher say that there's like 500 Scriptures in the Bible on prayer, a few less than that on the subject of faith. And just think how important those two subjects are. And yet there are over 2,000 Scriptures on the subject of finances. I do know that I have personally looked it up and Jesus spent more time talking about finances and using finances as an illustration uh, to deal with people than He did on any other subject. It's a very, very important subject. And I really believe that one of the reasons that the church hasn't made more of an impact on the society that we live in today than what we have is because we have taken the gospel, and we've applied it only to the forgiveness of sins, eternal things like heaven and hell. And even though those things are important, you know, most people are just so occupied trying to deal with things here on this earth that they aren't thinking about eternal values. And we should be thinking about that, true. But at the same time, the gospel has a tremendous amount to say about finances. And I'm going to be sharing some things with you right here uh, in Scripture where Jesus said that if you can't deal with finances and become faithful in that, you can't be trusted with anything. This is a beginning point. This isn't just for the super spiritual. This isn't for the super saints. This is basic Christianity. Again, Jesus talked about it a lot, and I really felt impressed that we just need to minister on this subject of finances. So I say all of these things to just kind of introduce this subject and to say that I know that this isn't what a lot of people want to hear about, but all of us have finances. All of us are accountable to God for how we use them. And the sad thing is most people are not managing their finances properly. Uh, I believe that you could prove that. I don't have the statistics in front of me, but I've heard what the average debt per person in America is, I mean coming down to every little child that doesn't even have any debt yet. But if you just divided all of the debt that exists out among every person that exists in the United States, it's astronomical. People have just gotten into a debt mentality and uh, they use credit cards to bail them out of situations. The scripture talks about our financial stewardship and it is not just an incidental thing. It's not something that is, uh, you know, off of the mainstream. This is at the heart of things. I've seen statistics before that marriage is the number one problem in marriage. The number one thing that people argue about is finances. It's the number one thing that causes divorce. I'm saying all of these things just to say that this isn't unimportant. This is very important. And actually, if a person is trying to departmentalize their life and then they have a part over here, you know, that is their spiritual side and they relate to God spiritually, but if they can't bring the, the relationship with God and the leadership of God and the wisdom of God into practical everyday life, 
well then that's, that's not what the Lord desires. He doesn't desire Sunday-only Christians. He wants people that can have a relationship with Him and take that relationship and the principles and the wisdom that the Word of God teaches and bring it into their marriage, bring it into their finances, bring it into their business, bring it into everything that they do. So this is a vital part of what God has called us to do. And I believe that it is going to really, really help you. And as we go through this, I think that you'll see that I'm not going to be teaching. I'm not going to take the same approach that many people would when they teach on financial stewardship. I'm not going to be giving you all of the real practical things and telling you about a a budget and all of this. And there's a place for those things. I'm not against that. But I'm going to be dealing more with what the Scripture has to say, scriptural principles that I believe that go to the heart of the problem. And if you get your heart fixed, and if you start being faithful in your heart and saying, God, I want to glorify you, then things like a budget, using wisdom in what you buy, not doing uh, compulsive buying, not going out and buying something because you're having a bad day and you feel bad, and so you think that buying something is going to make you feel better. See, if you could deal with the root cause of all of these things and learn how to have your total relationship in God so that buying something doesn't give you a sense of identity or or worth or value, but instead you find all of that in the Lord. If you deal with the root causes, then I believe that all of these other things will take uh, care of themselves. So I'm not going to go into some of the detail and some of the things that a typical person would teach it on the subject of finances, but I'm going to go straight to Scripture and share things with you that I believe are going to make a difference in your life. And the end result of this is going to be that it should produce financial freedom and liberty in your life. You know, in our Bible college here in Colorado Springs, our Karis Bible College, we have a little over 200 students, maybe 220 or 50, something like that, students here. And uh, I teach chapel every Thursday morning. Sometimes I'll teach on other days, but... As we go through this chapel, I just teach on financial stewardship. And we teach about all of the things concerning finances. And you know, if you were to put yourself in the place of some of these students, these are people that have left, some of them have left very well-paying jobs, careers. They've moved their home. And uh, Colorado Springs isn't the most expensive place to live, but it's more expensive than many places, especially some of the rural areas where people come from. And so people have left careers where they were making good money. They have left their home. They have moved here. They've had to have an increased uh, cost of living because the cost of living is higher for many of them than it was where they came from. So the increased uh, standard of living is, is more than what they're used to. Plus, they're having to pay the tuition. Plus, they're going to school four hours a day, so most of them are having to work like part-time jobs, shift work or something like that. So for the average student coming to this school, they're taking a decrease in salary, an increase in the cost of living, an increase with tuition, and then they've got uh, you know just part-time work and all of these things. That's a recipe for financial disaster. And yet what we do is teach on this subject of finances. And at the end of every school year, I ask the students uh, how many of them are better off financially than they were when they came to school. Now remember, increased expense, tuition, decreased uh, income, all of these kind of things. And how many of them are better off 
financially than when they came. You would think, just in the natural, without God's intervention, you would think that everybody would be worse off, that they would be depleting their savings, that they would just be barely getting by. But we've had a minimum of 80% and sometimes over 90% of all of our students raise their hands and they're better off financially. And you know why? It's not because the situation is so much better here. It's because they've gotten hold of these truths and it makes a difference in their life. And I tell you, the same thing is true. It's not, it doesn't just work for Bible college students. If you would take these truths that we're talking about, the scriptural principles, and if you would apply them to your life and start living in what the Word of God has to say about your finances, then you would see financial prosperity begin to work in your life. And I'm not just talking about an increase of assets, but just a totally different attitude towards money a different way of looking at it to where it is your servant instead of you serving it. Instead of you being dominated and controlled by the lust and the things that money sometimes creates, this would put you in charge to where you would use money as a tool and it would be a servant to you instead of you being a servant to money. That's an important truth. And I know that there's people that the truth is you are a slave to money. You have to get up and do things that you don't want to do. And you have to do these things in order to be able to make ends meet and do all of this kind of stuff. That is really not the way that God intended it to be. I think everybody may have to go through a period of time while you're beginning where you do some of those things. But you know what? You ought to get to a place where you find out what God's purpose for your life is and you start serving Him and you just simply do what you are called to do and then all of these things, the finances and everything falls in line as a result. This is what we're beginning to talk about and I think it's going to really help you. And the very first point that I want to get across is that we need to adopt this mindset that we are a steward of what God has given us. Now let me use this passage of Scripture here in Luke chapter 16, verse 1. There's a parable given here in verses 1 through 8 that is one of the most least understood passages of Scripture in the Bible. And yet it has become just a tremendous revelation to me. And I will be teaching through this. The first point I want to get across though is just in the first verse of this parable. Luke chapter 16 verse 1. It says, And he said also unto his disciples, There was a certain rich man which had a steward, and the same was accused unto him that he had wasted his goods. Now, as I said, I'm going to go on through and I'm going to teach on this parable later in this teaching. But the first point that I want to get across, the first thing that was said about this steward, and all of this is talking about money. The first attitude I believe that we need to have towards money is that we need to see ourselves as a steward. Now, that's a very simple point, but it's something that most people don't see. The dictionary defines a steward as a person who manages the affairs or the money of another person. In other words, here's the point that I think that you need to come to when it comes to finances and you start learning about how to use finances from God's perspective. The first thing you need to do is to recognize that the money you have really is not yours that it is a gift from God. Now, some people think that that is not so. I guarantee you, God didn't give me the money I've got. I've been out working for it. I've had to work two jobs. I've scrimped. I've saved. I've done all of this. And this is my effort. 
I can understand how people could, could think that way. But in reality, that's not true. Did you know it's God who has given you everything that you've got? It's God that gave you your life, first of all. God is the one... I mean, you didn't do anything to cause yourself to be. You were created by a creator. You didn't evolve. You didn't come from some slime someplace. We were created by God. There is a design to us. And you need to recognize that God is the source of everything. I believe it was in Acts chapter 17 where the Apostle Paul said that in Him we live and move and have our being. God is the source of our life. And not only our physical life, just not only our breath, but God is the one that gave you your wisdom. God is the one that gave you your ability to think. He's the one that gave you your talents. And you aren't the one who made yourself to be born in this time, the most prosperous time that has ever existed in the face of the earth. You aren't the one that caused yourself to be born in a relative uh, you know, political situation to where we have opportunity, to where we've got... Uh, democracies and representative governments today to where people aren't oppressed and you aren't born into just caste systems. You aren't the one who made yourself do all of this. God is the source of this. So therefore, really, even though you may be the one out there working a job and doing all of these things, it's God that gave you your life. It's God that gave you your opportunity. It's the Lord who made you to be born at this time. It's God who gave you your ability to think. Did you know I've heard said before that the difference between a person whose mind works rationally and functions properly and a person who we would call retarded or uh, mentally handicapped is just a very slight difference in chemicals. You don't make those things happen. You aren't the one who gave you your health. You aren't the one who gave you the opportunities. The point I'm trying to get across is whether you recognize it or not, and I don't believe most people do recognize it, But whether you recognize it or not, God is the source of everything. Without God, without His blessing upon your life, you wouldn't have the ability to prosper. Many of you do jobs where you have skills and talents. And because of that, people pay you and give you money. Or maybe you sell a product or you do something. You know what? It's God that gave you these talents and these abilities to be an artist to have these uh, gifts and talents. It's God who gave you the ability to think. It's God who allowed you to go through a system to where you were taught. Did you realize that just a few hundred years ago, it was the exception for people to be taught and learn reading and writing and arithmetic and these basic things that we consider now to be just kind of normal and that everybody gets. But you know what? It's God that made you live in this time and has blessed you with all of this. So the first point, I believe, when it comes to finances is that you need to recognize that your finances are a result of God's blessing on your life. If it wasn't for God's blessing, you, you wouldn't have finances. And even though you may be the one out here working, you need to develop a mindset that this isn't my money. It is actually God's money. It's God that gave me life. It's God that gave me opportunity. It's God that gave me talents and ability. And therefore, everything I've got is actually a gift from God. And this is the financial blessing that has come unto me. It is God's blessing. God has actually entrusted this unto you. And if you could start seeing that this isn't just your money, but it's God's money, everything you have, everything you own, actually comes from God. Therefore, it's God's. And you need to develop the mindset of being a steward 
over God's money, not over your money. You know, it's amazing how people, we will hear some things like this, and so some of us will say, oh yeah, I believe that God's the source of everything. But in reality, most people do not practice that. And to prove it, you know, I heard a man one time say this, and it really uh, tickled me, but it's a, there's a profound truth in it too. And he was receiving an offering in a meeting, and he said, I want everybody to stand up. And then he says, now I want you to reach into the back pocket or into the purse of the person in front of you and get their wallet and now give like you always wanted to give. And the point that he's making is that, you know what, if it wasn't our money, if it was somebody else's money, you would probably be more generous. Just think that if I was, you know, if you were standing here and if we were in a church service and they were receiving an offering, and if I just handed you my wallet and I said, you know, Give whatever you want to give. You would probably be more generous with my money than you would your money. There's something about a mindset when you think that this is mine. I earned this. This is my blood. This is my sweat. This is my toil. This is my money. When you see things as yours, you keep it in your hand. You keep a tight grip on it and you aren't as generous. But if you could see yourself as a steward, that it's even though you're the one who worked and even though the check may have been made out to you and even though you pay taxes on it and everybody else in this physical, natural world considers it to be your money. The truth is, if you could see this not as my money, but this is the money that God has entrusted to me. This is God's blessing in my life. And if you could see it as belonging to God and all you are is a steward of what God has given you, it would totally, totally change the way that you use that money. Now again, this is a simple truth, but it's a profound truth. And if you could get this mindset, well then I guarantee you it would make a lot of difference. For instance, if it's God's money, and if He is really the owner of it, and all you are is a steward, you are a person who has been blessed and had this money entrusted to you, and God gives you absolute stewardship of it. You can do with it whatever you want to, but if you saw it not as yours, but as belonging to God, I can guarantee you then you would not ignore the instructions in the Word of God that God gave about how to manage this money, about what to do with it. But there are multitudes of people. There are a lot of Christians, people who have committed themselves to the Lord. You love God. You are serving God. I'm not saying you're bad people. But I can guarantee you there are a lot of Christians who have made a commitment of their life to the Lord concerning spiritual things. But when it comes to financial things, you see it as your money and you are not following the instructions given in the Word of God. There's many of them. One of them that's obvious is about the tithe. You aren't taking a tenth of what God has given you and giving it back because the truth is you don't see this as God's money. This is your money and you need this money. But if you were to change this and if you were to see it that as God, this is your money, what do you want me to do with it? Well, there's very clear instructions in the Word of God about what to do with it. And you would act differently if you truly saw yourself as a steward, a person who is managing the money of another. If you saw this as God's blessing upon you, God is the source. This is actually God's finances. I guarantee you, you would deal differently with those finances than what you do. 
There are probably some of you that you know you are spending your money and spending it on things that aren't pleasing to God, that would never be what God directs you to do. You're blowing it on either useless things or some of you may be spending it on pornography. Some of you may be overspending and you know you aren't glorifying God in this area of your life. But the way that you reconcile this in your mind is, well, it's my money. I can do with it whatever I want to. I think a first step in becoming responsible in your finances is to get this mindset that this is not my money. I am a steward of what God has entrusted to me. God has blessed me with these talents and abilities. God has blessed me with this job. God has put me into a prosperous nation at the most prosperous time in the history of the world. God is blessing me and God has given me these finances. It is not up to me to run my finances the way I want to. I am a steward. And I know that people do not like to hear this. They especially don't like to hear preachers talking about this because nearly always it's taught in a way that you need to send all of your money to me. And so there's an immediate uh, criticism, skepticism about the motives behind this. But I'm teaching on this because I believe that the Lord told me to do it. And you know, there's other things that honestly I'd just as soon be teaching on because I know that there's going to be a lot of criticism and a lot of people who've received other teachings that I've done and will immediately reject this because I'm talking about finances. But you know, that wouldn't be a faithful steward to the Lord. This isn't my ministry. It's not up to me to just teach on the... Uh, little pet peeves and things that I want to do. I believe that I'm responsible to God and I really feel that this is something that the Lord wants to help His people become responsible in. And I do believe that there's an abuse. Now, I'm not going to jump on the bandwagon and say that everybody that teaches on financial prosperity is abusing it. I don't think that that's so. I think that there's a, a criticism, a prejudice in most people against financial prosperity And so many times people who are preaching the truth are criticized and spoken against, and it's just unfounded. You know, one time I heard a guy on uh, radio preaching against what he called health wealth preachers, and the day that I heard him on the radio, he was railing on people who believed that God wanted us to prosper and took a view that those scriptures about prosperity were concerning financial prosperity. And he was saying that is not so. God did not promise us financial prosperity and he was relating it to emotional well-being and other things like this. And anyway, he just railed on what he called health wealth preachers. And I was in my car listening to this and right after that man got through teaching, on radio about that. I was listening to the news. This was on a Christian uh, radio station. And part of their news broadcast was they talked about this man who I had just heard preach against health wealth preachers. He had just completed and moved into an $8 million home with an Olympic-sized swimming pool on the inside. He is one of the leading conservative evangelicals preaching against health wealth preachers, and yet he lives in an $8 million home. Here I am. I've heard my name called on on radio and television before as being a health wealth preacher. And I live in a home that I paid $60,000 for nearly 20 years ago. And it's a nice house. I'm not complaining, but I'm saying, you know what? I am not 
preaching these things so that I can indulge my flesh and so that I can have you send all of your money to me. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm teaching on this the exact same way that I would on healing. When I preach on the subject of healing, is it because I want everybody to get me healed? No, it's because I'm concerned about you and I'm wanting you to learn the truth about that. When I preach on emotions and preach the truth on this and encourage people to receive the uh, emotional stability that God has purchased for us, to let the peace of God rule in their heart. Am I doing that so that I can have peace? No, I'm sharing on that for you so that you can walk in this uh, revelation and in the things that God has for you. And when I preach on the subject of prosperity, I am not preaching on this for my benefit. You may think so, and I can't disprove you wrong. You can criticize me if you want to. But I'm telling you, the motive of my heart is just the same as when I preach on healing or preach on emotions or preach on salvation or deliverance or anything else. I'm doing this because this is the truth of the Word of God, and this will set you free. And so if you are one of those that has a prejudice and you just immediately shut all preachers off when they go to talking about money. You're going to do that to your, to your own detriment. I guarantee you there are some things to be learned from Scripture about prosperity, about finances that God wants you to know. And this is very, very important. But the point that I was making is that you need to adopt this mindset that you are a steward. The dictionary defines a steward as a person who manages the affairs or especially the money of another person. So the first step, I believe, in becoming financially responsible is to recognize God is the source of your prosperity. Let me just give you some scriptures on this. Look over in Genesis chapter 14. I'm breaking right into the midst of a, of a story of Abraham. But Abraham came on the scene in Genesis chapter 12. And uh, God told him to leave his father's house and his father's kindred and go out and that later he would receive a, a nation and he would be the father of an entire nation. They would receive this promised land, etc. And it says in Genesis chapter 12 and in verse um, 1, it says, Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation. And I will bless thee and make thy name great and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee and curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. Now there's a lot I can say on these passages of Scripture. There's a lot of information in here. But I just want to point out this one thing. God said that He would bless Abraham and that He would make His name great. And as you go on through the story of Abraham and read about this, this isn't just uh, some kind of a spiritual thing. This is talking about physical, tangible results. In this very chapter, Abraham began to be blessed, 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 blessed. I mean, he began to start having cattle multiply. His flocks multiplied. He was blessed in everything that he did. In this very chapter, he went down into Egypt because there was a famine in the land of Canaan. And he went down there and... Pharaoh uh, was looking at his wife, Sarah, and at this time she was approximately 60-something years old. And yet she was such a beautiful woman at 60-something years old that uh, Abraham was afraid Pharaoh was going to kill him to take his wife. And so he allowed Pharaoh to take his wife and he told Pharaoh, oh, she's my sister. 
which was a half-truth because she was a half-sister, but the truth was she was his wife. Abraham did not do the right thing. This wasn't the thing of integrity to do. He lied about this and allowed a man to take his wife and Pharaoh put Sarah into his harem. Now, he didn't have sexual relationships with her because before he could do that, God intervened and revealed the truth. And you know what happened? Instead of Abraham being rebuked, Instead of Abraham being punished by God or by Pharaoh, they recognized that God was on him. God had intervened in this dream and had stopped Pharaoh. And because of it, the fear of God fell on all of these Egyptians and they started giving Abraham servants, slaves, cattle, sheep, all of these things. And Abraham left Egypt with much more prosperity than he had. You can't say that that was because of his shrewd dealings. You can't say that it was because of his great integrity. It wasn't any of those things. You know what it was? It was the fact that in verse 2 of Genesis chapter 12, God said he would bless him and make his name great. God's blessing was independent of what he deserved, independent of his performance. It was just the favor of God on him that caused him to prosper. And you know what? Some people can't connect these dots. Some people think it's all my effort that has produced this prosperity. But I tell you, that's not so. I remember the very first time I traveled outside of the United States and went to India, and I ministered in Ahmedabad, India, and in Bombay, India, and I ministered over there, and I saw extreme poverty. I saw people laying outside of the place where I was staying. They were two and three deep on the sidewalks just living there. They just laid there. And every morning they would come by and collect the dead bodies. Every morning I'd get out and see people who had died over the night of starvation. And you know what? I came back to America and I thought, it cannot be just coincidence of how blessed we are in America. This isn't just something that happened accidentally. This is nothing but the blessing of God. And it's not given so that we can just consume it upon ourselves and have bigger houses and bigger cars and bigger toys. This is the blessing of God and it was given to us just like it says in Deuteronomy chapter 8 verse 18 so that He can establish His covenant here on this earth. Are you aware that there have been kings and princes and people considered super wealthy in millennia that have gone by that today would be considered a pauper by our standards? We have conveniences. We live in homes that kings... And princes didn't have the nice things that we have. The air conditioning, the heating, and all of these advantages and things like this. We are blessed more than most people that have ever lived on the face of the earth. Well, see, that's what happened to Abraham. God blessed Abraham. And Abraham began to prosper. He was so prosperous that in the 13th chapter of the book of Genesis... Abraham and his nephew Lot could not dwell together because their flocks and herds were so numerous that they were overgrazing the land and their servants began to start fighting over who got the best piece of land. So they had to separate from each other. As a matter of fact, you will find in this story of Abraham that Abraham literally had uh, Pharaoh and also Abimelech, a king of Gerar, come out and say, Depart from us because you are mightier than us. Now this was the king of an entire nation that came to Abraham and said, Depart from us because you are mightier, greater in wealth and in materials than any of us, and the land can't bear your, all of your substance and ours. 
Here's an individual man who was blessed by God who became so prosperous that kings asked him to leave because he was uh, draining their resources. He was greater than they were. Now that's amazing. And you know what happened? You know what made him that way? It wasn't Abraham's shrewd uh, dealings. It was just the blessing of God upon him. And to prove it, in the 14th chapter of the book of Genesis is where uh, some kings came down and fought against Sodom and Gomorrah where Abraham's nephew lived, Lot. And they took Lot and his family and all of his substance and all of his good. There was actually five cities that were conquered by four different kings and they took all of them captive. And when Abraham heard about this, he armed the trained servants for war that were born in his house. And I think that there was 380 of them. And those are just the ones who were armed for war. You know, there had to be wives, children, and then, of course, older men or younger men who weren't able to fight yet. And so this gives you quite an indication of how prosperous this man was. He had 380 soldiers that had been born to him as his slaves. He was a very prosperous man. And he went and defeated these four kings. He brought back all of the substance. And anyway, when the king of Sodom saw that Abraham had brought back all of his people that had been taken captive and all of the spoil and all of these kind of things, the king of Sodom said unto Abram, this is in Genesis chapter 14 and verse 21, the king of Sodom said unto Abram, give me the persons and take the goods to thyself. In other words, what he was saying is, you know what, if it hadn't have been for you, everything would have been lost. Not only our material possessions, but all of these people. He says, if you will just give me the people back, if you'll give back our wives and our children and all of the people that were taken captive, then you can have all of the spoil. Now, it doesn't say exactly how much this was, but it's not unreasonable to believe that this would be the equivalent of millions of dollars, millions of dollars worth of spoil. Because he not only recovered everything that was taken from these five cities that had been taken captive, but then he also got all of the spoil from the kings that had been conquered. There were four kings and all of his armies and all of the silver and the gold and and the jewelry and the clothes and all of these kind of things. I'm sure that this equaled millions of dollars worth of booty, spoil, that he could have taken from this battle. And look what Abraham said to him in verse 22. It says, Abraham said unto the king of Sodom, I have lift up my hand unto the Lord, the most high God, the possessor of heaven and earth, that I will not take from a thread even to a shoe latchet, and that I will not take anything that is thine, lest thou shouldest say, I have made Abram rich." Save only that which the young man have eaten and the portion of the man which went with me, Aner, Eschol, and Mamre, let them take their portion. In other words, what Abraham did is say, no, I'm not taking any money from this. You can have your people back and all of the spoil. You take it because I have made an oath to the Lord that nobody is ever going to say they made Abraham rich. It is God's blessing upon me. And and to prove it, he in a sense gave away millions of dollars worth of spoil that rightfully were his by conquest. Now see, I believe what this is doing. It is showing an attitude that Abraham had. At this time he was called Abram. Later his name was changed to Abraham. But it shows an attitude that he had that see, it wasn't just him. It wasn't just his effort that was causing prosperity. Now, he was doing certain things. He had people that watched over his flocks 
and all of these kind of things, but he did not trust in just his effort to prosper him. He saw himself as a recipient of the blessing of God. It goes back to Genesis chapter 12 verse 2 where God appeared unto him and God said, I will bless you and I will make your name great and I will make you a blessing. Abraham saw God as his source. And because of that, God began to prosper him supernaturally. This same thing is necessary for any of us to really begin to start walking in the financial prosperity that God wants us to. You need to see God as your source. You need to develop this mindset that this isn't just mine. This is God's blessing upon me. God has blessed me with these finances. Yes, I may have gone and worked a job. And yes, I may put in 40 or 50 or 60 hours a week. But God is the source. God is the one that gave me my life, my health, my abilities, my talents. God is the one that's opened up these doors of opportunity. God is my source. And just like Abraham, you need to recognize that this is God's money. Now, what was the result of Abraham, in a sense, giving away millions of dollars worth of spoil? Look at this. In the 15th chapter, right after these verses we read, it says in chapter 15, verse 1, After these things the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. Abraham had just spoken boldly in front of all of these people that God is my source. Nobody's ever going to claim that they're my source, that they're the ones who made Abraham prosperous. And so to prove it, I'll give back all of this spoil to you. I'm not taking anything. I risk my life, but I take nothing for it. God is my source. Man, is that powerful or what? And right after that, God appeared unto him and said, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. And of course, this had spiritual implications, but it also had financial implications. And right after this, Abraham began to prosper more and more and more and more and more. God blessed back unto him the millions of dollars worth of bounty that he gave back unto the king of Sodom. God blessed that back unto him with interest. You know why? Because he saw God as his source. I know that this is a simple thing, and some people think I'm just beating this point. But I tell you what, until you start recognizing God as your source, until you start looking at all of the resources, the money, the possessions, the assets that you have and quit hoarding them and saying, this is mine and I will do with it what I want to do. Until you quit having a clenched fist and you open it to where you say, God, everything I've got is yours. You are the source of everything. And God, this is yours. How do you want me to manage your money? What do you want me to do with the prosperity that you've blessed me with? Until you get that attitude, everything else I'm going to teach on the subject of finances, everything else that the Bible teaches about it, it's going to really be uh, useless to share these things with you because you will look at this as, but this is mine and I, I have complete control over it. You need to get rid of that mindset and recognize that God is the source of everything you've got. And you know what? If you don't believe that, all God's got to do is just withdraw a breath from you. You know, the Scripture talks about that God is the one that gives us our breath and that if if He calls that breath back and says your time is up, there's nothing you can do to stop it. The doctors can't heal you if God was to withdraw your breath from you. 
The truth is, it is God who's blessed you with health. It's God who's given you breath. It's God who's given everything. And I'm imploring you in the name of the Lord that you start looking at your finances not as being yours, but that you develop the mindset of a steward, a person who manages the affairs, especially the financial affairs of another person. You, in a sense, have been blessed by God with finances that He has given to you. He is the source of your blessing just as surely as He was the source of Abraham's blessing. But the difference is Abraham knew God was his source. Abraham knew it beyond a shadow of a doubt. And because of that, he began to prosper and prosper and prosper. One of the reasons we don't see greater prosperity and greater blessing coming is because we haven't learned this lesson of being a steward. We still think that it's ours. We look at all of these things as being ours. And because of it, we have a stingy, selfish attitude because after all, this is my money. The truth is it's really not yours. You know, I saw a show, uh, I can't remember the name of it, but it was an old Jimmy Stewart. I think it was uh, the show Shenandoah, an old uh, Civil War program. But anyway, I just saw this not too long ago. And Jimmy Stewart would sit down and he had this whole family and they worked a farm and they did all of this. And um, I can't remember the exact words, but the point was when he said grace over the meal, he said, God, this is food that we planted, we worked. We did this. If it hadn't have been for us, none of this would have been here, but ask you to bless it anyway. And uh, he, you know, basically just had this attitude is, you know, this isn't from God. We planted this. We worked the fields. We did this. But the truth is, it really is from God. God's the one that created those laws that made everything work. And as the story goes on through the war, this guy lost a number of his uh, family members. Tragedy struck them. And at the end of the show, he humbled himself and he says, God, it really is you that causes blessings. And he basically repented of being self-willed. And you know, the truth is, if it wasn't for the rain that God sends, if it wasn't him that caused the soil to be fertile, we couldn't grow these things. If it wasn't for God that gave us our health and caused us to be born at this time, you wouldn't have these things. And so the very first step in really walking in financial prosperity the way that God wants you to is to recognize that you are not the source of your financial blessing. Now, that doesn't mean that you sit home and watch television and eat bonbons and never work. I'm saying if you don't work, you don't eat is what it says in 2 Thessalonians 3. So you are supposed to work, but you need to recognize that even though you work, it's God that gives the increase. It's God's blessing that makes things work. And until you develop this mindset of a steward, the dictionary definition of a steward is a person who manages the affairs, especially the financial affairs of another person. You are managing another person's wealth. Even though it's in your bank account, even though your house and car is in your name, God is the one who has given you the ability to prosper and to get wealth. And the reason He's done it is so that He could establish His covenant here on the earth. That's what it says in Deuteronomy 8.18. So you need to recognize it's God who has blessed you. You need to see God as your source and therefore as the owner, really, of everything that you have. God is your source. And you need to be responsive to Him and follow His directions. I tell you, if you don't see this truth, it's going to hinder you in receiving everything else that the Scripture has to say about prosperity. I've used Abraham as an example and told about how that Abraham went out and conquered these kings and got the equivalent of millions of dollars worth of spoil. 
And the king of Sodom said, if you'll just give me back the people who were taken captive, then you can have all of the spoil, millions of dollars worth of spoil. And Abraham wouldn't do it because he says, God is my source. Nobody is ever going to claim that they made Abram rich. God is my source. And he gave back all of this booty, all of this spoil to the king of Sodom. See, he had an attitude that he recognized God was his source. And because of it, did you know that Abram paid a tithe to Melchizedek in the 14th chapter of the book of Genesis? And he gave back. It was a token of the fact that, God, I know I'm not my source. I know that you're the source of my blessing. Here's another example of this same thing. In Genesis chapter 13 is an example where Abraham had become so prosperous that Lot and him could not dwell together because they had so many flocks and herds that they were overgrazing the land and they had to separate. So here's what Abram said in Genesis chapter 13. In verse 8 it says, Abram said unto Lot, Lot, Let there be no strife, I pray thee, between me and thee and between my herdmen and thy herdmen, for we be brethren. Is not the whole land before thee? Separate thyself, I pray thee, from me. If thou wilt take the left hand, then I will go to the right. Or if thou depart to the right hand, then I will go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes, and behold, all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, even as the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as thou comest unto Zor. And so Lot chose him this well-watered land. Now here's the point that I'm wanting to get at. Abraham had been told by God in Genesis chapter 12 verse 2 that I will bless you and make your name great and you will be a blessing. Abraham saw God as his source. And here is an instance that proves it. Because when there was too, too much cattle and sheep to be able to dwell together, Abraham took Lot up into a hilltop and said, here's the whole land. Pick and choose which direction you want to go. And it says specifically that before God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, that Dead Sea area was lush. It was well watered. It was like the Garden of the Lord, like the Garden of Eden. And I don't know how many of you have ever had animals, but I've had uh, horses most of my life. And I guarantee you, every time I bought a place, I was looking to see well watered land, whether it's sub watered, you know, subterranean water and whether the grass is good and things like that. For a person that has animals that graze, and especially back then when you couldn't just go to the store and buy any oats or hay or things like this, but I mean you were dependent upon them grazing to be able to to survive. You know what? To choose, to give a person a choice. And here's desert over here where you just have a blade of grass every two or three feet. And over here is a lush plain that has beautiful grass for all the flocks and the herds. And you just stand up there and say, look, you pick whichever direction you want to go. And whichever direction you choose, I'll go the other. Did you know a person who was only thinking that they were the source of their prosperity? If it was just up to them, if it was up to them to, you know, stab somebody in the back, do whatever you've got to do to prosper. I guarantee you nobody that saw themselves and just the physical, natural realm as the source of their prosperity would ever give anybody a choice like that. Because it was a no-brainer. Here was a well-watered lust pasture over here. Here was desert over here. There was no choice. There was no question as to which direction Lot was going to go. Lot chose the well-watered land. And did you know that Abraham chose the area that was desert? 
And right after they separated, the Lord appeared unto Abram and once again put a greater blessing on him than he had originally had. Originally, he meant the Lord in Genesis chapter 12 and verse 2. God said that he would bless him. But look what, under, what the Lord said to him right after this. In verse 14, Genesis 13, 14. And the Lord said unto Abram, after that Lot was separated from him, lift up now thine eyes and look from the place where thou art northward and southward and eastward and westward for all the land which thou seest. To thee will I give it and to thy seed forever. And I will make thy seed as the dust of the earth, so that if a man can number the dust of the earth, then shall thy seed also be numbered. Arise, walk through the land in the length of it and in the breadth of it, for I will give it unto thee. And Abraham removed and began to obey what God told him. But notice, right after he gave Lot this choice, and in a sense, some of you may not see this real clearly, but the way I see this is, Abram was saying, Lot, God is my source. You know what? We can't dwell together because our herds are too big. So you just pick whichever way you go and whichever way you go. It doesn't matter. Pick the well-watered land down here. Pick the best pasture land if you want it. I'll go this way and God is my source and God will bless me. Did you know in the natural, it's impossible that a person who lives in a desert with all of these flocks and herds is going to prosper the same way as a person who lives in a well-watered area with lush pasture land. But you know what? Abram prospered much more than Lot did. God appeared unto him and he began to prosper much more because God was his source. You know, when I teach on something like this, people are fearful to open up their hand and let go and say, God, everything is yours. I don't have anything except what you have allowed me to have and it's your grace and it's your blessing, it's your favor. People are afraid to open up their hand and just give everything to God because they think God is going to take from them. They think that I, if I maintain and say that this is mine and I'm not going to pay a tithe and I'm not going to give offerings and I'm not going to do these kind of things as if it was God's money and I'm not going to follow His directions and be just a steward over His things. But no, this is mine and I'll give what I want to. I'll give when I want to. And when you start having that attitude, people think you're going to prosper better with that selfish, uh, seeing yourself as the source. But what happened to Abram when he just said, pick the best? He, in a sense, gave away these millions of dollars worth of spoil. He gave away the well-watered area. Why? Because God was his source. When he did that, God appeared unto him and said, you're going to get the whole land. Look in every direction, north, south, east, and west. You know what that means? Even the area that Lot got, even that well-watered plain, God says, Abram, that's yours. You may have given it to Lot temporarily, but ultimately that's going to all be yours. I can tell you, when you open up your hand and begin to trust God, God is not a taker. God is not a subtractor. God hasn't come into your life to take from you, but He wants to bless you. And you could just go right on through all of the people in the Bible, who really prospered and God blessed them, they all had this attitude that it wasn't just their money, but rather it was God who blessed them. Let me give you another example of that. Here's an example of David. Over in 1 Chronicles chapter 29, David was king. This was getting towards the end of his life. And David was turning the kingdom over to Solomon. He assembled all of the nation and all of the leaders of the nations together. 
And um, he was turning the reins over to Solomon and specifically he was giving a charge to his son Solomon to build the Lord a temple. David wanted to do it, but God told him, no, he wasn't the one to do it. It was his son who would build the temple. And so David obeyed the word of the Lord, but he prepared for it. And David, prior to this time, I won't go back to read these prior things, but prior to this time, out of the royal treasuries that David had, he gave 36 billion, that's with a B, billion dollars worth of gold and laid that up for the temple. And he gave $14 billion worth of silver to the temple. So that's a total of $50 billion worth of gold and silver. David had already set aside and earmarked for the building of the temple. But now in 1 Chronicles chapter 29, right before David's death and as he turned the kingdom over to... um, his son Solomon, here's what David did in 1 Chronicles chapter 29. In verse 3, David said, Moreover, because I have set my affection to the house of my God, I have of mine own proper good. Now remember that the previous amount, $50 billion that he had given was out of the royal treasuries, but this is out of his own personal bank account. He says, I have of my own proper good of gold and of silver, which I have given to the house of of my God, over and above that that I have prepared for the holy house, even 3,000 talents of gold, of the gold of Ophir, and 7,000 talents of refined silver to overlay the walls of the house withal. The gold for things of gold, and the silver for things of silver, and for all the manner of the work to be made in the hands of artificers, who uh, then is willing to consecrate his service this day unto the Lord." So let's go back up under this in verses um, 3 and 4. Here's the total. This 3,000 talents of gold is equals 110 tons of gold, and that would be uh, $1,056,000,000 worth of gold. And then he also gave 7,000 talents of silver. That's 260 tons or $99,840,000 worth of silver. So if you add all of that together, that was over $2 billion worth of gold and silver that David gave out of his own personal bank account towards the building of the temple. Now look at the results of this. It says that when he had done all of this, he said in the last part of that fifth verse, and who then is willing to consecrate his service this day unto the Lord? And it goes on to recount that, man, when David gave this offering, $2 billion equivalent of gold and silver to the temple, that all of the leaders, the heads of these tribes, they caught this giving spirit and they began to give. And it talks about how much they gave. They gave more than David gave. Of course, now this was all of the tribes together, but they gave about $3 billion worth of gold and silver so that if you add it all together, there was over $5 billion worth of gold and silver given in this one day. Man, this would have been something to see. And uh, anyway, I want to show you David's reaction when all of this happened. In verse 10, 1 Chronicles 29:10, it says, Wherefore David blessed the Lord before all the congregation, and David said, Blessed be thou, Lord God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. 
Thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in the heaven and in the earth is thine. Thine is the kingdom, O Lord, and thou art exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come of thee. Now again, see, this is the point I've been trying to get across. You've got to develop this attitude that you are a steward. It's really not yours. It's God's. God has entrusted you with your, with your finances and with your assets. This is what David is saying in verse 12. Both riches and honor come of thee, and you reign over all. And in thy hand is power and might. And in thy hand it is to make great and to give strength unto all. You know what David is doing? David is saying, God, you're the source of all of this. You're the one that has made your people so great. When Abraham first came, he was basically, he didn't have very much and God began to prosper him. At this time, they'd increased unto a mighty nation and they were able in one day spontaneously to give over $5 billion worth of gold and silver to the building of the temple. And David is saying, God, you're the source of all of this. Riches and honor come of you. You're the one who's made us great. You're the one who's made all of this happen. God, it's yours. We were just a steward. And he says in verse 13, Now therefore, our God, we thank thee and praise thy glorious name. But who am I and what is my people that we should be able to offer so willingly after this sort? For all things come of thee and of thine own have we given thee. For we are strangers before thee and sojourners as were all of our fathers. Our days on the earth are as a shadow and there is none abiding. O Lord our God, all this store that we have prepared to build thee an house for thine holy name cometh of thine hand and is all thine own. I know also, my God, that thou triest the heart and hast pleasure in uprightness. As for me in the uprightness of my heart have I willingly offered all of these things. And now I have seen with joy thy people which are present here to offer willingly unto thee. O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Israel, our fathers, keep this forever in the imagination of the thoughts of the heart of thy people and prepare their heart unto thee. And he goes on and he prays for Solomon. But notice he says, everything we've given came from you. We have just taken what you have given us and given back unto you. Everything is yours. All we did was really give back unto you that which was rightfully yours. I tell you, this is the attitude that I'm trying to get across. For you to really begin to prosper, you need to quit looking at it as your money. You need to quit seeing yourself as the source of your prosperity. You need to recognize it's God. It is God who has blessed you. There's another scripture over in either Psalms or Proverbs where it says God is the source even of the animals. He opens up His hand and He gives water unto them and He gives them grass to eat and things like this. And if He closes His hand and the rains don't come, He can take their breath away. God is the source of our life, not only of us, but of all the animals and everything. And for us to have the audacity, the arrogance to think that we are the source of everything that we've got is just really, it's a humanistic attitude to where we see ourselves as the source. And that's the reason that we're so stressed out. That's the reason that we worry about our finances. That's the reason we worry about whether we're going to be laid off, whether this is going to happen, whether the economy is going to go. Because we see our source as just physical, natural, human things that are subject to all of these ups and downs. But when you begin to make God your source... It does a number of things for you. One of the things it does, it gives you a peace and a security. 
that you know what? God is the one who is, is responsible for me. I've got promises in the Word of God that He doesn't even let a sparrow fall to the ground without His recognizing it. Even the very hairs of our head are all numbered. If God does all of these things, how much more is He going to take care of me? If I would just seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, God will add all of these other things unto me. If you're stressing out, if you're worried, if you're having financial problems and you're arguing about it in your marriage, I encourage you to come to a place to where you humble yourself and say, God, you are the source of our prosperity. We may not have been submitting to you well. We may not have been obeying you well. But from this time forth, we humble ourselves and we say that you're our source. Just like David, everything that we've got comes of you. And when we give back 10% or when we give an offering, all we're doing is giving back unto God that which He's also first given us. You know, it's hard sometimes for people to look beyond just physical, natural things and see into the spiritual realm. But I really do have this attitude of being a steward. And I'm not saying that to pat myself on the back. I'm just saying that from the very beginning, I know that I had nothing, zippo, zilch, nada, when God called me to the ministry. Some of you have heard me talk about my poverty days where we ate nothing but popcorn or sometimes even less than that. When Jamie was eight months pregnant, we went two weeks without any food, nothing but water because we were so broke. You know, I know where I came from. I know what my resources, what I was able to do in myself. And I started trusting God. And as I've progressed in the ministry, I've pastored three little churches and done other things. You know, God has blessed us now. I'm not a millionaire or anything, but I have a house that's just about paid for. And uh, I mean, God has taken care of me. My cars are paid for. I'm debt free, just about debt free, maybe another year maximum. And... Uh, Everything I've got, God has blessed me. This building the ministry has is worth over six, seven million dollars. We owe less than three million against the whole thing. And God has blessed us. And you know what? Some people don't understand this, but I recognize that it is not me that has done this. It's not my great wisdom. It's not my great ability. This is God's. This is God's blessing on me. And, you know, I've tried to tell my children this. Of course, they weren't, uh, they were born and they were alive when we were going through some of our poverty things, but of course, they don't remember it. All they remember is they've seen us blessed and prospered, and sometimes they think it's me that's done all of these things. I'm on radio and I'm on television, and that's why God has blessed the ministry and things have worked out. But you know what? I know that God is my source. I have a steward mentality. And I don't do things just because we have a cash flow now coming into the ministry that if I wanted to, I could go do this and I could do that. You know, it's not my money. It's really not my money. I'm a steward. I'm especially a steward in the business here, in the ministry. Of course, even by law, you're required to be a steward. And I can't just take this money. You know, recently I had my son bring, uh, he's working for me and we're putting in a kitchen and he brought out a blender to our house. And he was going to use this blender to make something and cook our Thanksgiving meal. And I told him, I said, nope, we can't use that blender. And he says, well, why not? And I said, well, we got a blender here. We'll use this. And he said, this is a better one from the ministry. And I said, I cannot use anything from the ministry for personal gain. I don't do that. I said, there's got to be a clear distinction. 
I don't use any of the ministry stuff. That's the way it is by law. This is what people go to jail for is if they take ministry resources and use it for personal things and don't pay taxes on that money, on that benefit that comes to them. So anyway, I had to tell him to take this back to the ministry. We aren't using ministry things. Now see, that's being a steward. It is not mine. The things that we have here, this isn't mine. This is God's. It's God's. Well, basically, it would be good if every one of us could look at our income and everything as not being ours, but it's just God has entrusted it to us. He's given us money and He wants you to pay your rent. He wants you to pay your mortgage. He wants you to pay your car payment. He wants you to buy food. He wants you to pay your taxes and utilities. God told you not to owe any man anything, but... Uh, except love. And so God does want you to be a good witness and pay for these things. But instead, if you look at it as I'm paying for these things, this is money that God has entrusted to you. You're a steward. Now, what does God want you to do with it? He told you not to owe anybody anything, so pay your bills. But He also told you not to go out and spend money that you don't have. See, if we were really had a steward mentality, I guarantee you it'd stop a lot of this emotional lustful spending that people do. Instead of just doing things for themselves and doing things because they've been hurt and so they want to go out and buy some you know, pantsuit to make them feel better about themselves. See, that's not being a good steward. That's not using money the way that God wants you to. You're actually, in a sense, substituting that for something that God is meant to supply in your life. It causes a tremendous amount of problems when you don't recognize that you are just a steward of what God has given you. You need to develop this mindset. Some of you need to go back and remember that you were praying for a better job. You were in a dead-end job. God blessed you. God gave you a new job or God gave you a promotion. And sure, you may be working and you may be working very hard, but what would have happened if God hadn't have answered that prayer, if God hadn't have given you this promotion? There's some of you that have prayed that God would give you a talent or you desired to do something and you prayed and God has given you these things and blessed you and now you've forgotten that it was God who gave you this ability, that God did these things. You know, there's a friend of mine who, uh, I won't go into any detail on this. I didn't ask him, so I really don't want to give his whole testimony, but basically he just didn't have any direction for his life. He prayed and asked God what God wanted him to do. And God told him to start drawing and sculpting some things. And today this guy is very successful. If any of you have ever seen it, he made this uh, sculpture of this like 8 foot, 10 foot tall angel that's in our building. And the guy is just a super, super gifted sculpture. And it's only been in the last 10 or 15 years that he did that. He never has had any training. He never did anything. He just prayed and God spoke to him and told him that this is what he called him to do. Did you know what? He needs to remember. As far as I know that he does remember, but I mean, you need to keep in mind that it's God that gave you this talent. You need to see God as your source. And when you see God as your source, it changes your entire attitude towards money. No longer is it yours. No longer do you just do what you want to do. But this is God's money entrusted unto you. It makes you have a sense of responsibility. It gives you a totally different attitude as you approach finances. You know, let me use an example over here in Scripture in Psalms chapter 50. This is talking about sacrifice. 
the sacrifices that were commanded under the Old Testament. But there's a parallel here between financial offerings and these sacrifices. Look at what this says in Psalms chapter 50, beginning in verse 7. He says, Hear, O my people, and I will speak. O Israel, and I will testify against thee. I am God, even thy God. I will not reprove thee for thy sacrifices or thy burnt offerings to have been continually before me. This is just old English way of saying that his contention with them wasn't about the lack of sacrifices that they had offered. They had been offering sacrifices continually. But as he goes on, what he begins to start doing is talking about, but your attitude, your heart attitude in offering these sacrifices is what his complaint was. In verse 9, he says, I will take no bullock out of thy house, nor he goats out of thy foals. For every beast of the forest is mine, and the cattle upon a thousand hills. I know all the fowls of the mountains, and the wild beast of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell thee, for the world is mine, and the fullness thereof. Will I eat the flesh of bull, or drink the blood of goats? Offer unto God thanksgiving, and pay thy vows unto the Most High. It wasn't the fact that they hadn't been offering sacrifices. They had been offering them continually. But he says, you've missed the point. Why was it that God told people to give sacrifices and offer these blood sacrifices in the Old Testament? It was to illustrate to them their need for blood to be spilt for them. Not the blood of an animal, but this was prophetic about the coming of the Messiah that would offer His blood and give His life in payment for our sins. And the scripture says that like over in Psalm, I mean in Colossians chapter 2 verses 16 and 17. All of these things were just shadows, types, pictures of a New Testament reality that was coming. And what they had been doing, they had been going through the motions of this, but they had never given God their heart. And so the Lord says, I don't need all of these things. He says, well, I take a bullock out of your house or he goats out of thy foes. Well, he had commanded them to give bullocks and he goats, but why did he do it? The people had thought, it's because God needs my bull. God needs my goat. No, they needed to offer it. They needed to give back unto God to show their trust and dependence upon Him. And to prove it, he goes on down and he says, I know all the fowls of the mountains and the wild beasts of the field are mine. Verse 12, if I were hungry, I would not tell thee, for the world is mine in the fullness thereof. Will I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? You know what he's saying is, he says, why did I tell you to make these offerings? Is it because I'm hungry? He says, if I was hungry, I wouldn't tell you. I wouldn't ask you to feed me. He says, all of the cattle on a thousand hills are mine. All of the fowls of the air, everything is mine. I didn't ask you to make these sacrifices because I needed it. You needed to give. And here's the point that I'm trying to make. You know why God asked us to give 10%? Now, I'm going to be teaching more on the tithe as we go through this series. But you know why God asked us to give unto people that are in need and why God told us to pay a tithe and why God told us to give offerings? It's not because God needs your money. You know, God could finance this ministry, churches, the gospel some other way. He could make every minister independently wealthy. I mean, he blessed Abraham, and Abraham became independently wealthy. He did it to Isaac. He did it to Jacob. God could just bless us so that we would never have to receive an offering or do anything. God could have set this system up differently. But he has set it up so that the ministry lives, a church or a parachurch ministry like myself, 
We exist because people give. God made it so that those who receive the gospel should give back and help the gospel continue on. You know why God set it up that way? Not because He needs your money. He could have set up a different system and have just made me independently wealthy. There, there's a lot of money out there. God could just have somebody give me billions of dollars. But you know what? Even if I had more money than what I could use, I'd still be encouraging people to give because this is for you. It's not that God needs your money any more than God needed these Old Testament sacrifices. If he was hungry, he wouldn't have asked for a sacrifice. That's not the way God satisfies himself. He did this so that the people could learn to give and they they could uh, learn their dependency upon God for a sacrifice. It's the same thing in the area of finances. God doesn't need your money, but you need to recognize God as the source of all of your money. Now, it's one thing to say, oh, yeah, I believe that God's my source. I believe that God's blessed me. God's the one that really has enabled me to do everything that I'm doing. It's one thing to say that, but it's another thing to prove it. Now, how do you prove it? You know, talk is cheap. But how do you really prove that God is your source? It's real simple. God says, give me 10%. And you know what? A person who doesn't really really, really from their heart level see God as their source is going to balk at that and say, but I need this. I work for this. This is mine. I have to have this money. See, a person, you could say it this way, and some of you may take offense at this. I don't mean any offense. I'm just saying these things. The truth will set you free. There's some of you that don't give, and you would probably say, oh, I know that God is my source. I know that God is the one who's given me everything but then you won't give 10%, you know what? You don't see God as your source. You see yourself as your source. Now, you may disagree with that, and you may try and argue about it, but I tell you what, that's just exactly true. If you really saw God as your source and that God gave you this money, and if your faith was really in God, then you would follow God's instructions to take 10% a tithe and give it unto the work of the Lord. And if you don't do that, you can say what you want to, but you do not see God as your source. You see yourself as your source. You see that money as hard to come by, and I've got to work and labor, and I don't have enough of it to do all the things that I want. And if I let go of this, then I'm going to be moving further away from my goal of having all of these needs met. And you know what? If there wasn't a God, if He wasn't your source... And if he didn't promise that when you give, it'll be given unto you, then it is crazy to take a portion of what you've got and give it away when what you've got isn't enough. But since there is a God who has promised that when you give, it shall be given unto you, and if you really believe that he's your source by obeying him and trusting his word, you aren't moving away from your goal By giving, you're moving towards that goal because God has promised that He would take what you have given and give it back unto you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over with men given to your bosom. Luke 6, 38. So really, it all comes down to a matter of faith. And this is why God told us to give. God doesn't need our money. God could establish His kingdom on some other principles. He could give every person in ministry the ability to make money. He could give us creative ideas that would just supply supernaturally. But God didn't set His kingdom up that way because He wants you to trust Him and recognize Him as your source. He wants you to recognize 
that even though you've got money, you didn't get it by your own power. It was God that blessed you. Here's a scripture in Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 18. It says, But you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is He that giveth thee power to get wealth, that He may establish His covenant, which He sware unto thy fathers as it is this day. Notice in that verse 18, He says, It is God who gave you the power to get wealth. It's God who prospers you. God is your source. You need to start seeing all of your assets, all of your finances. Even though you've worked for it, you need to start seeing it as God has prospered you. God has blessed you. Now, you know, I believe that we're living under a new covenant today and that God is a gracious God and God's not going to punish or hurt people. That's not God's deal. He placed all of our punishment upon Jesus. So therefore, I don't believe God's going to just smite somebody and take your finances away from you and make you destitute and put you out on the street. I don't believe that. But you need to recognize it is God who gives you power to get wealth. God is the one who did it. And why did He do it? It goes on to say that He may establish His covenant, which you swear unto thy fathers as it is this day. God has blessed you to be a blessing, just like He told Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, verse 2, I will bless you and make your name great, and I will make you a blessing. God has blessed you to make you a blessing. God has given you finances so that you could use them to, yes, survive and to thrive and to pay your bills and to do things and to bless you. There's nothing wrong with that. But the primary reason that God has blessed you is so that you could be a blessing. And you know what? People who consider all of their finances and their assets as their own, they don't think that way. As a matter of fact, one of the one of the criticisms that I get every time I teach on prosperity is people will say things like, well, you're just preaching on greed and selfishness and you're telling people that if they give, God will give back unto them. I would never do that. I believe God has blessed me. I've got enough. I wouldn't ask for any more. You know what? That is really a selfish attitude because what you're saying is that all of my finances are for me. And as soon as me gets taken care of and as soon as I am satisfied, forget the rest of the world, all I care about is me. That's truly greed. That is really the selfish attitude. You know what a truly humble attitude is? Is to say, Father, I've got everything I need. You've blessed me, but I want to prosper. I want to increase my finances, not for myself, but so that I could be a blessing to someone else. I believe that this is why you give me power to get wealth, is so that I can establish your covenant That's a humble person. The person who's saying, I've got enough. I don't believe in this prosperity stuff. Then what you're saying is that you think prosperity is all about you. What I'm saying is prosperity isn't all about you. God has entrusted you with finances so that you could be a blessing to other people. I'm going to explain this in a lot more detail as we go through this series. But the number one thing I wanted you to get is just this understanding that God is your source. You need to develop the mindset of a steward that it's not your money, it's not your assets. God has blessed you with all of this. And if you did that, it would take away stress, worry, and travail because it's not your money. It would make you more generous. It would put everything into perspective and it would make you able to receive the greater blessings of God. Man, that's powerful.